Welcome to episode 28 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. It's episode 29. <laughs> All right, should we start again? I say keep it. I'm just going to keep it. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am Stuart Butler and I have lost the ability to count. And I'm joined today with Misha Bakikio, who seems to be very giggly. I have my ability to count though, so there's that. There is. And I'm also pleased to announce... The return by popular demand of Pete DeMeo. Hey everybody, I'm glad to be back, but don't adjust your microphone or your speakers. My voice is almost gone. It sounds very bad, and that is what happens when you get to your age and you have a weekend of drunken debauchery. It used to take about one day to mm-hmm. recover. Yeah. I'm on about six now, so. <laughs> yeah. You sound actually worse than you did when you came back on Tuesday. I, I think I got something. Yeah. Don't give it to us, and don't give it to our faithful listeners. Well, I won't. Well, I don't know, a computer virus, maybe. That's true, scoliosis. So today's episode, we are going to be talking about, uh, there's a digital marketing company called Leonardo, which we we like what they do. They do similar things to us uh, in in some regards, building websites in marketing hotels. But they did a digital marketing summit, but it was all virtual versus being an actual in-person summit. So some of our guys attended that, and we're going to talk about what we took away from it. There were some great guests at the digital marketing summit. There was Trust You and Flip2 and um, Triptease and SiteMinder. Who else am I missing? Sojourn. So it, was a lot, it really was the who's who of, you know, all the, the poster childs of today's digital marketing for hotels. These guys are the folks we see and talk about a lot on this show and we've seen at the shows. Um, we use a lot of these products for our clients as well. So definitely um, a star-studded crew. So we'll go through what each of those vendors had to say and what we kind of took from it, what we agreed with, maybe what we didn't agree with. But before we get into that, let's talk about what's going on in the news. Pete. Okay, well, I actually have two news items, and they're very related. The first one is from the website Quartz, and the headline is, Kayak is quietly testing out its answers to Airbnb. And the second one is on Travel Weekly, entitled, Expedia on the cusp of integrating HomeAway rentals into the hotel searches. Both these are very similar. You know, Expedia purchased HomeAway at the very end of 2015, and you know, they had been hinting that they would be starting to better integrate the home away and VRBO type experience into the regular hotel type results. And you know, we're starting to see that come to fruition now. It's really going to be one of those things where more and more you're starting to find that the VRBO type inventory becomes integrated onto the, the OTAs. And I think this is kind of the first, first shot across the bow at that. Yeah, and this will be really be that first universal accommodation search because mm-hmm. right now you either, you usually have to make that determination before. Okay, I want a for sale by owner type thing or an Airbnb type thing or I want an official chain hotel. And you go to a site that accommodates that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so this, this is interesting. I mean, I, I typically have that in mind before I search, but maybe it'll change my mind because I see a difference in price point or maybe the, you know, the amenities are different because it's, got its own private pool or something like that in a vacation rental versus a hotel so yeah and the other thing too with vrbo and home uh airbnb properties they can accommodate larger groups a little bit better than a standard hotel Mm -hmm. so i think that helps and it only makes sense for expedia to have acquired home away when they did because of the velocity that you're seeing you know the peer-to-peer type you know accommodations grow Mm -hmm. for them to be relevant this is a step they would have had to have made yeah, I mean, if I was in the vacation rental business, you know, I had off, off-site rentals from, from properties, this would be great for me. But if I was a hotel and, you know, I'm trying to compete against these off-site rentals, this, this would make me a little bit nervous. It's something to keep an eye on. You know, it's funny because we talked a couple of weeks ago about how Expedia is making some really good strides to, to fix some relationships uh, with the hotels. You know, they've come out with Rev Plus, which is an awesome product. We're actually trying to get someone from Expedia to be a guest on a future episode of the podcast to come and just talk about the Rev Plus product. But that basically is a, a rate management tool. It's, it gives you insight into your, your market and demand and things. Uh, but they, they, they were also doing some other stuff 
related to loyalty. So they're tying in with some chains where you can book on Expedia but still get points towards the loyalty program or even get um, the loyalty member rates if you book through Expedia, right? So they're doing some things that hotels are gonna like. This I gotta think hotels, they're gonna be a little cautious about. Well, I also wonder how they're gonna structure the pricing for a home away customer because they're used to a very different you know pricing model to be a member of home away to have your property listed it's not nearly the same thing it's usually a flat rate per year for the unit right it's a very low flat rate per year yeah but we've also seen some hotels that are putting inventory on on home away vrbo now as well Mm -hmm. you know just regular hotel inventory or condominiumized hotel inventory on the places like VRBO, just as another channel. So the folks that are doing that, maybe they'll like this because it's just more distribution and more eyeballs, so. Yep, either way, it's something to pay attention to and pay attention to closely. Yeah, so what's next? So I have an article from the New York Times, actually, about something that we just recently covered extensively, Airbnb. They are officially suing New York over the new law that was signed into play this week, actually. So this has caused a huge stir, and it's not just New York. This has happened in um, other countries even. So Barcelona, Spain is one they mentioned, Amsterdam, and then San Francisco as well, where they're imposing more strict laws on short-term rentals, and Airbnb is coming back and suing them, saying that it's going to cause irreparable harm. In New York in particular, the new law allows authorities to post post fines for up to $7,500 if a host is caught listing a on the Airbnb platform when they're not supposed to be. So I think we were all kind of expecting this. I know there was kind of, um, you know, we were in a waiting period with New York and they did in fact pass a new law and um, other places are fighting this too. We talked about New Orleans too, which my mom lives there and they're fighting it too there. So, I mean, it's going to continue being a battle in a lot of these cities. It's gonna be very interesting you know, we talked about this several podcasts ago where, you know, New York had put these regulations in place. And at the same time, I believe it was even the same week, the Texas legislature passed a law basically saying that cities cannot penalize short-term rentals, you know, in various cities. Going after specifically Austin was trying to crack down. So we're starting to see a lot of difference throughout the United States. Some places allow it, some places don't. You know, I see this becoming, you know, something that could go up to the higher courts. I was thinking that too. I mean, it's so different across every city. So I'm wondering if it will get to the point where people want consistency and they want a definitive yes or no, is this allowed? Or if they're going to say they want to leave it up to the state or the city? I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely fragmented right now. So whether it does run up the courts and and end up in the Supreme Court for a ruling, it's definitely possible. But we'll definitely keep an eye on it because this affects everyone in the accommodations mm-hmm. in, industry. And um, you got on one side competing like lobbyists who are pro- trying to protect their money, their traditional revenue for hotels. You've got the unfair laws related to taxation and regulation in favor of Airbnb. But then you've also got consumer demand on the other side where people actually want this product and want this service and are benefiting from the price breaks. So, there's a lot of stakeholders in this debate. It's not something that's going to be decided this year or next. You know, it's this is going to take probably a decade or more to get straightened out in the courts. Anything that, especially this, that relates to the internet, by the time a law is passed, I have a feeling that <laughs> it's, it's not be, even going to be relevant. It's like, like, like by can, the time they got to this, spam, for example, right? It, exactly. Yeah. By the time they find a law that is perfect for Airbnb. We're all going to be booking on some other platform or the technology is going to change to the point where, you know, it's it's something completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, by the time government understands it, it's already too late, yeah. right? So, yeah, definitely something to keep, again, keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. What's next? So I feel like this next news article we hinted at or we just plain out said it was coming in a few episodes ago, but it is officially out in the wild. Google is testing a single hotel deal placement within the search results. So this is run through their hotel price ads platform. And the way this looks, I personally haven't been able to replicate this in searches I have done, um, but this article on T News has some screenshots if you're curious and wanna see what it looks like. 
Traditionally, you would search for a branded hotel and you would see a few AdWords ads and then the natural search listings. And then you would see a box on the right-hand side that would have some information about the hotel reviews. And then it would have a few boxes that had hotels.com or um, if the hotel was running on hotel price ads, there would be pricing there. What they're testing is they're actually moving that hotel price ads data that's a little bit off to the side on the right and they're putting that right in the ad space. So the screenshot that's in the article shows one AdWords ad and then you've got a giant box that's prompting you to book right within the widget on the search engine results page. So it's definitely a huge move for them pushing their own product. I'm actually a little bit surprised that they seem to have been pushing down the AdWords ads for this. So I'm wondering if this is perhaps more profitable for them. I'm not sure, but this is, I mean, a huge deal for if this does roll out globally across Google, this puts that HPA tool right in the face of your users. Yeah, and let's, let's be honest, <laughs> HPA really has not been that effective yet. No. You know, no. From an ROI standpoint or a volume standpoint, it's just, it's a little anemic right now. Mm. So Google, have done, they've done a really good job on the flight side. They really do want to do a great job on the hotel side because there's a lot of money there. Travel industry is one of the largest spenders on AdWords. So they want to really disintermediate the OTAs eventually and take the money directly from the hotels because they can get more profit that way, right? So that's their long-term strategy. So they're going to do whatever they can to make HPA work more for the hotel but they don't want to do it in a way that's going to lose them revenue in the short term because they have, you know, they have stockholders to account, you know, to that are looking at their profitability. They don't want to be in a situation like TripAdvisor is now where their annual earnings or quarterly earnings are significantly down and a lot of people are questioning the the value of the the stock. So what I think they're doing now is pretty smart because if you look at the when we talked about this a few episodes ago, they were moving HPA to the very top, above all of the all of the AdWords ads, right? And that certainly would make you say, well, people are going to spend spend less on AdWords. They're going to get less clicks. There's not any incentive to bid higher because you're still only going to have a maximum spot. But by putting one ad above HPA, they're actually get, they're double dipping because. Not only is HPA going to get more exposure, but now that number one spot is a lot more valuable mm-hmm. than the number two spot because now number two spot is essentially number three spot. Mm-hmm. So now what you're going to do is is artificially inflate the, the bid because people are going to want to be number one and they're not going to accept number two because their ROI is probably going to drop significantly for number two and in, in perhaps increase for number one. So they're probably going to maintain or increase their revenue from AdWords by having that one spot above and they're going to get more play on HBA. So I think that's a pretty smart move from Google. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, let's be honest, Google has underwhelmed the community with HPA in general. You know, I'm sure everybody is in the midst of 2017 planning and you are wrapping up the budgets for a lot of our clients now. And looking back on what we expected to spend in 2016 is just a fraction of what we actually spent because you know platform issues of getting the ads to show properly, getting the proper exposure, and then the relegated position it had on the search results page, they have to do something to maintain relevance because you know I think a lot of advertisers are going to say, well, it's easier for me to put my effort into a PPC campaign where I know I'm getting a better return. I know I have a better you know management tool to you know manage my bids. If they don't put it in a place like this, I think they could see people jump ship. So it's good to see that they're making some kind of change. Yeah, they really have. I, I really feel like the clock is tipping cause, ticking because they, they have some early adopters that jumped on and, and are always going to be innovators and, and going to try stuff. And they're beginning to scratch their head and say, well, is this the best use of my dollars? But they've also got a lot of people that haven't jumped on it yet because it, it isn't the easiest platform to get on. You can't just go sign up for an account like you can with AdWords. You have to have an authorized partner to get you get your data in there, right? So Fuel is an authorized vendor. We're listed on Google's page. So you can come to a, a company like Fuel to get on, on HBA, but it takes a little bit of approval and some testing and it's not just flipping a switch like AdWords is. So some people still haven't done it. 
but they're not they don't have a compelling reason they, well look at the, the, look at the ROI yeah. that you get I mean you have to do a lot of work to get there we were super bullish on HPA and I, I still am I think it's it's got a lot of you know opportunity It'll get there. I really do believe but that. right now the compelling reason to go through those hoops and really focus on it they need to make a change so I'm hoping this is the change that yeah. what they need I mean right now when when someone comes to me and says we want to get on HPA I typically look and say well are you on trip tripadvisor yet because if you're not doing trip connect in instant book don't even think about HPA yet you know th those two perform better they're more manageable so do that before you even think about HPA yeah HPA is becoming the Pinterest of social media. You have to make sure you do Facebook really well, you have to make sure you do Twitter really well before you go in and jump in on Yeah, on so, so in this case, you've got to do AdWords and then TripAdvisor before you even think before about it. Before you even worry about it. Yeah, I struggle a lot with HPA because I totally agree that the flight search experience is fantastic. Anytime I'm looking at a flight, that's the first place I go. I ended up booking my flight through that platform just because it was so easy. I mean, it was just a great experience. So. I'm struggling to understand why they are struggling so much with HPA, not only from a user experience, but as a provider of the service, managing it is just a nightmare. Their UI has been terrible, the backend is terrible, the implementation is not easy. And then I look at a product like AdWords, which has been around for a while, and they've had plenty of time to tweak it, and I'm like, just, just copy that. Well, they're so siloed. They need to turn HPA over to the AdWords team yeah. and say, hey, you guys run this. Well, really, to me, AdWords eventually, <laughs> I mean, HPA eventually should be an extension of that. AdWords. Well, they're already doing, obviously, regular ads, mobile video, I mean, and everything YouTube else. shopping campaigns. Yeah. Like, it's all in one. It should get rolled in. Yeah. Whether it does or not, I don't, I don't if know. If you're listening, that. Google... Of Here's course. our recommendation. Of course they're listening. Larry and Sergey are right there every every week subscribe to the podcast. I think we have a comment, a question from him today. From, no. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't from the, the bosses. It was from Matt okay. Cutts. Uh, it's just one of the gotcha. lower level top guys. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, he works for like the FBI or something now, doesn't he? Who, Matt Cuts? Yeah. Does he? I yeah. don't know that. I thought FBI all search some, engines work for the FBI and NSA. Super important government agency. I could be wrong about that. So. I don't know. I just I used to watch his videos all the time. I haven't seen one in a long time. So well, he's maybe. been on hiatus for he was on hiatus for like over a year, and then he announced he got a job somewhere in the government. Huh? I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. The more you know. Exactly. I I learned something from the podcast for the first time. Ding ding ding. <laughs> That's the more you know. Star. Yeah. For those of you who are not in our studio audience. Yeah. Pete just raised his arm. Yeah. The, the, the more you know, star flew across the microphone. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about our topic today, which was the, the virtual digital marketing summit put on by Leonardo. So let, let's talk first about the overall, before we get drilled down, let's talk about the overall experience. I did not attend this. I'll be honest with that. I was I was busy and it, it took like, a, it was a three hour session. Right? Yeah, it was a three hour session. So it was a lot of time to sit on your butt at your desk. So I think it depends how you look at it, right? If you look at it as compared to a webinar, Right. If you if you were to tell me come sit and watch a three hour webinar, I'd be like, you are crazy. There's no way you can hold my attention for that long. And really, most webinars you get five minutes of actual value and 25 minutes of pitching. It, well, 25 minutes of intros and pitching. Right. Mm -hmm. Most webinars. So for a three hour session, I'd assume that that would scale, and I'd probably get an hour and a half of pitching. So. If you look at it that way, it doesn't sound enticing, but if you think about it the other way and think about it as this is an alternative to a physical conference where you're going to learn a bunch of stuff from a lot of people that aren't pitching, they're just educating. And, and typically when you're going to a conference, you gotta pay for travel, you gotta pay for accommodation, you gotta pay for meals, and it takes you out of the office for a day or more where you've gotta you know, work in the evenings to catch up or come back to a mess when you get back to the office, right? So. A, a, a traditional conference is expensive. It's a big investment from a company. You could buy a small car for the price of a conference. <laughs> Something <laughs> for sure, right? So not only was this one free, Leonardo did not charge for attending this. Uh, oh, I paid. It's on your card. Okay. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> um, but not only was it free, but it, it was really convenient because it was just three hours, right? So... I think that there's some very good pluses to that. So so one of the things after we talk about the, the points that you kind of took home from it and the great speakers that kind of contributed to it, 
One of the things I'd like to throw out to our listeners is to give us feedback, to tell us on Twitter um, by at Fuel Travel, is this something, one, you attended, was it valuable, or, or does this concept in general, is this appealing to you? Because we, we, we're toying in, internally at Fuel about doing webinars, we're kind of on the fence about it, but this is something that's a little different. This kind of concept of a digital um, virtual conference is interesting. And we've done physical conferences before. We've hosted the New South Digital Conference a couple of years in a row, and it was great, it was very successful, but it's really, really, really expensive and time consuming to put those things on. I don't think people realize how expensive it is to put on a conference like that. So, And it takes 12 months to plan. plan. Yeah, because you've got to get the speakers on, you know, you've got to get on their schedule, and book the facilities and it's just it was a lot of work you know so we decided back then we did it two years it was successful we had a lot of fun doing it but we decided right now our energy was better spent other way other areas Mm -hmm. like the podcast for example right so we're toying with do we want to go back to doing physical conferences like that or or is this idea that leonardo is is at the forefront of doing a virtual conference is this something that our listeners would be interested in. So if this is something you, you'd like to see, then um, certainly let us know because that, that'll help us kind of make that decision. Well, I'll say from my experience from it, I did I enjoy going to conferences, but it obviously is an investment. You know, I enjoyed the concept of this. I enjoyed that the companies that were there were not super pitchy at all. So I did like that. I feel like it would be a little bit more successful if we had breaks in between because the way it kind of worked is you had a speaker and they spoke for about 20, 25 minutes and then they would roll right to the next speaker and they had two portions where they did Q&A but it was pretty much back to back to back for three hours so that was a little much and then I feel like the part you don't necessarily get is the networking aspect of it which has some value to it too and the Q&A they only did I think two Q&A sessions for like 10 minutes in between all of these speakers. And so I feel like a lot of times if you're at a conference and you still have questions, you can go to the speaker after and engage with them and converse with them. So even in this situation, I think it would have been nice if they could have gotten the questions to the speakers and they could have replied on Twitter or sent you a message or something. And So that was going to be my question. Was there a a social media component to this? Was there a lot of, like, was there a hashtag during the event? They had a hashtag during the event. And I think I was like one of the only people using it. Yeah. And yeah. The, some of the companies were doing a little bit of retweeting and it was present on the slides, but for whatever reason, compared to even other shorter webinars I've been to, people weren't really using the hashtag, which was surprising. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for instance, you know, Misha, you and I are going to Internet Summit up in mm-hmm. Raleigh next month. And so go there and get your autographs. Yeah, absolutely. See me in person. So yeah. If anybody finds us, let us know and... We'll say hi. We should have like prizes or something in our pockets in case anybody's like, you from the podcast. I will give you, we have some fuel um, playing cards, like a deck of playing cards with a fuel logo on it. Ah. I'll give you like three each. Okay. So if anyone finds Pete or me. So the first two people who find us. Oh, because you're keeping one. Yes, I'm keeping one. Uh, But but anyway, back to my point before you guys hijacked it. Derailed. We're getting derailed a lot today. The hashtag, you know, for ISOM, and this this year will be ISOM 16, is super popular. You know, mm-hmm. so you're constantly following that. People are talking about what they're seeing in one breakout session or the other breakout session. I think that's one of the big parts of the conferences that I always enjoyed. And that's kind of sad to see that that wasn't, you know, more engaging. Yeah, because I do like engaging with other people that are, you know, on Twitter. Like, Twitter chats are a big thing. So I like to see what other people are saying about it or engaging with people. And I just feel like that component was kind of missing from this one. But I think you could make it work if you really put an effort on the social side. And, and I wonder how many people attended this. Did they say how many attended? They did, did, they did not say. I, I don't. I don't know for sure the number. Yeah. It's. It seems like they were getting a lot of questions. Yeah. So. Um, okay. So let's talk about your takeaways and go through some of some of them. We don't have time to do all of them, but let's go through some of them and talk about what your biggest takeaways were, what they talked about, and what you took from it. So. Let's start with our good friends. We're actually doing a travel study right now with um, Flip2. So let's talk about what they they had to present. Sure. So just to kind of put everything in perspective, they had six speakers overall. And the kind of theme overall of this conference was seven phases of the travel shopping journey. So they talked about inspiration, research, planning, validation, booking, travel, and sharing. And then each of the speakers kind of focused on one aspect of that. And flip two, they had a gentleman named Edward, who was their presenter for the day. 
and he talked about how to bring true hospitality back to the forefront of your marketing strategy. I changed the name of this to Make Hospitality Great Again because I thought that was a little catchier. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So just the four primary takeaways from that presentation. um, The first of which was to look at your website, email, social media with fresh eyes. And are you infusing content that really tells a story? So Flip2, for anyone who's unfamiliar with that particular product, they are all about selling via social sharing. So they do a lot of integration with websites that do Instagram and reviews, and they pull a lot of stuff into your website. They really encourage people to share their experience. It's a really unique product, um, but so that was their first takeaway is, you know, are you using your content to tell that story of your hotel? The second one, which I thought was a really good point, and they had some really good examples in their presentation, was that coupons are not content. So they gave a really specific example of two ads. These just happened to be display ads, um, but one of them was a really high quality image, but it had um, you know, just a, a kind of generic statement on it. And then their second ad had um, a picture of two, a couple like looking at each other chatting, or it was some two people, and then there was an excerpt from a review about the experience that they had on property. And they discussed how obviously the ad that shared that experience like really outperformed the kind of just a generic special ad. The third takeaway was to use appropriate call to actions in the inspiration phase and to nurture travelers into becoming future guests. So obviously, you know, you get somebody on your website, you don't want them to have distracting pop-ups that are all book, 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 especially if they're coming in from a blog article or something that's just really in that travel inspiration phase, they're not ready to book yet. So don't punch them in the face with book now, book now. That might be a better place to... Yeah, you've got a you first know. date then, right? You don't go for the home run on the first date. You've got to wine and dine people and get to know each other and show them what you're all about before you try to go for the That's game. a polite way to go about it. Yeah. <laughs> this is it's, it's also this three different is. analogies in one. Yeah. <laughs> I can have more if you want. Yeah. I think we're good. All right. But yeah, I agree. You've got to... The person doesn't know you yet. They're not just going to stay at your property, especially if it's a a destination, a longer booking window. So use those appropriate call to actions. And then fourth, which we've talked about time and time again, is to adapt a mobile first strategy, particularly in the travel planning part. A lot of people are on mobile. You know, they, we've talked about before how more people are planning on their mobile and then they move over to desktop for the actual booking. But when they're thinking about where they want to go, looking at hotels and destinations, looking at things to do, they're going to be on their phone. So your website needs to have that mobile first strategy if you want to capture them at that point. And your booking engine too, because I think eventually that's going to catch up. Yeah, it's top of the funnel now, but eventually I think it's going to close the gap. And mm-hmm. So your whole experience needs to be very mobile first. And that's difficult for hotels to do when they're so used to sitting at their desk and working on their marketing. But it is important to have, honestly, an iPhone and an Android device available mm-hmm. and primarily looking at your sites on those devices. I mean, even the booking engine, they may not be necessarily going through and making the booking. But they're shopping their, rates. But sure. they're shopping rates. And if you don't have the booking engine that can allow them to easily do that on their phone... Mm-hmm. If your competitor does, they may never even get to you on a desktop. Absolutely. So that was the highlights from the Flip2 presentation. I really enjoyed theirs. Yeah, so definitely check out their website. It's Flip.2. I think it's their website. So they, they, they do a great job. We really like that product. So what was next? So next, um, we had a presentation from TrustU. And I'm not going in the actual order of the presentations. I just kind of ordered them to my liking. Um, so the next one we're going to talk about is TrustU. They um, had some really good tips on how to use social proof throughout your website. Um, just a few bulleted highlights from theirs. And the presenter was named Ellis. I followed him on Twitter for a while. He always pushes out really good content. So go find Ellis Connolly. I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, but um, he's, he's really good on Twitter. Um, we, tips, we can put in the show notes. We can put who the speakers were. and put their Most tw- of them their were on handles. Twitter. There was one or two that weren't, but okay. most of them were on there. Um, but trust you... Just some tips on how to effectively use social proof throughout your website. Reviews, duh, need to have those on your website. User-generated content. So this could be not just reviews, but this could be you walking around the property with the phone and taking some just really candid guest testimonials or, you know, them sharing their story and you turning that into a blog. Yeah, I flipped to it. I mean, that's what they really... 
doing is user-generated content, mm-hmm. you know. So. If your hotel has won any awards, whether that's a TripAdvisor certificate or some other industry award showcasing that and building that trust and authority. This this whole thing, like the, the validating someone's decision through peer reviews or, or peer recommendations, I feel like most hotels completely miss the boat on this, right? They're too busy telling the story from their perspective and they're not letting the rest of their guests help tell the story. You know, if you've got happy guests, they're probably a better marketer for your property than you are because people believe it, they trust it way more. So whether it's photos, whether it's reviews and testimonials, whatever it is, you've got to get what your guests experience is, the ones that have a good experience, you've got to get that into content on your website and help them tell your story on your website so that other people trust it more. No one trusts a marketer. We've been yeah. marginally trusted a little bit more than attorneys, you know? Cause, and cause politicians. Mar- <laughs> um, yeah, well. They, they, have, they haven't read our emails yet, so. <laughs> well, I deleted most of okay. it. Uh. But yeah, so you gotta get on this. If you don't show reviews of some kind on your website, you're crazy because people are leaving your website, they're gonna read reviews and they're gonna leave your website and go somewhere to read them probably TripAdvisor, and they're getting exposed to all these rates from mm. the OTAs on your property, but they're also getting exposed to all your competitive properties. And they might say, hey, these guys are ranked above them and their price is the same. Well, I'm gonna make a change now. I'm gonna pivot and go to this other property. Whereas if you had validated their decision on your website, you would have captured that booking. And this really started growing in 2015, maybe a little bit before. 2016 is coming to the forefront. From a budgeting perspective, it needs to be something that you budget for in 2017. At least getting reviews on your site and starting to dabble in the, the social integration. Mm-hmm. It, it's beyond time to make it happen. Mm-hmm. You really and need to plan for There's a lot of different it. ways to do it, too. I mean, you can pull in TripAdvisor reviews. You can use a product like, like TrustU trust you, yeah. or like Flip2 to use some of the social proof. There's ways you, you can, can manually build this. We have clients that we built review platforms for mm-hmm. them, and they'll they'll just solicit reviews directly from their guest history through the, the post-state email, places like that. It really doesn't matter. you know, As long as you've got legitimate reviews, you're not just putting up fake five-star reviews and everything's perfect. People don't trust that. They're not going to feel like that's authentic. No, yeah, as an aside. could hurt your search engine performance because if you have the schema markups and the aggregate rating markups that you should have if you have reviews, and Google can see, hmm, the, the website reviews are all five-star, but they're comparing that to TripAdvisor and the Expedia and the Booking.com reviews, and if they see there's not parity there, you that'll actually hurt your website performance. So do yeah. not try to manipulate your reviews. Yeah, and it's going to be hard to do that if you are – you know, someone working at the property, and you're not going to want to willingly put a two-star review up there, but people are going to check the TripAdvisor reviews. And if they see that there's a discrepancy, mm-hmm. they're going to lose trust in the property. They're not going to lose trust in TripAdvisor. So keep that in mind and, and, and don't try to you know, stack the deck like in your with, favor. Work on fixing your product. Don't yeah. work on manipulating your reviews. Right. Bad reviews are a symptom of a bigger problem, right? So if, if you're getting reviews that say your rooms are dirty or that the customer service sucked, it, it's not the reviewer's fault, it's your fault. Right? You didn't clean your rooms properly or you didn't train your staff properly or you don't have the right culture at your property. Mm-hmm. Fix that, that's the root cause of bad reviews. You know, you're gonna get the occasional crazy. You're gonna get someone whose expectations are way out of line. And whack. people see that, People understand. understand that, right? And it, it shows through in the review. People look at it and say, Okay, this doesn't really apply to me. This person can't use basic grammar or spelling. Probably not the best source. <laughs> exactly. But reply to it. Be nice. Be cordial. You know, apologize. People people are understanding and forgiving, you know. But you've got to be authentic in your reviews. So the last tidbit of advice that I thought was useful, um, which I see more websites and booking engine using, is evidence that others are booking. So whether that's how many rooms are left or how many people have already booked that room, there's a few ways to do that, but that taps into that psychology and is providing that that proof that this is a good product, people are using it. Yeah, that social proof or just incentives, and it, again, it comes down to validation. It's the same thing as reviews. People like to, to know that what they're thinking they wanna do is a good decision. They wanna make sure they don't get in trouble with their spouse. They wanna make sure they don't have buyer's remorse. And by seeing other people had a great experience or seeing other people have already done what they're about to do, it just adds legitimacy to it. So whether that's showing 
limited inventory left or helmet like the OTAs do showing five people have booked this in the last 48 hours or someone booked this room two hours ago, whatever it is, those kind of validating statements throughout the booking process can really move the needle in terms of conversion rate. And our new booking engine that we're getting ready to launch has a lot of that built in. And what the testing we've been doing really, really shows how important that kind of messaging is. Totally agree. So moving on, the next topic I wanted to highlight was Triptease. Charlie from Triptease, who we've worked with in the past. He's our boy. We, we had him, remember we did a live, um, live video with him at one of the conferences. I think it was high tech. We yeah, did, it was high tech. We did a live video with, with Charlie. He's a fellow Englishman. Shout out from America. He has America. more of an authentic accent. He hasn't been you know, in South Carolina for 15 years and <laughs> sounds Aussie or something. So his presentation was on driving direct conversion opportunities. And this is something that we've actually had an entire podcast as well on, um, how you can increase your direct bookings. So he had several tips, um, six tips actually for that. The first one I thought was interesting. He recommends experiencing the journey firsthand. So never making any assumptions, which I feel like is very easy if you are a hoteler and you want to design a new website and you have in your mind what you want your hotel and your process to look at, but you don't ever step, take a step back and either talk directly to your guest, um, you know, maybe about, you know, how did you find us? You know, have you, did you go to our website? You know, did you find it easy to use or even doing any testing with people who haven't necessarily stayed there yet? So just kind of getting a, a totally taking a step back and looking at the travel planning process and then also how people are using your website. I thought that was a really important thing that is often overlooked. Yeah, people often can't see the forest for the trees, right? They're so in the weeds of what they're doing day in, day out. And it, it is tough sometimes to step back and look at it from a consumer's perspective that, that has no knowledge, right? Because we, we, when we look at a website, we have a lot of assumptions. We already have a lot of innate knowledge that we've gained in how websites work or how this hotel shines, you know, what its, what its assets are. But coming come up with no expectations and no assumptions and look at it afresh or even sit someone down and sit right next to them and watch them do it. And there are a lot of online tools like usertesting.com that you can just get virtual groups of people to come and tell you how they interact with your website or just observe them and you learn so much from that. And yes, a small sample size. But you're taking the time to step back and look at it from another perspective. Exactly. It doesn't take a big sample size to see where you know somebody runs into a goal, uh, roadblock. Yeah. And if let's say you test five people and you see every one of the people are having that same issue. Yeah, they shine a light on something yeah. you overlooked because yeah. you assumed too much. Well, you know, it's funny because we were in a meeting this week and we had a client who's redoing their websites and they had a particular website in mind that they really enjoyed. And so we were in this meeting just kind of discussing the pros and cons and at one point we wanted to look at their photo gallery page and it was just interesting because it was a beautiful website, but none of us could, for the life of us, figure out how to get to their photo gallery. So it was one of those, like, you really like this site, yeah. but how usable is it really? Right. If this is something we that were so many people looking want to for look it. for. We it. knew it was there, and we were actively looking at it on three different machines, and it took us, like, a minute to find it. Yeah. So never make assumptions. That's the first tip. I agree. The second tip is to present clear benefits. I mean, this is honestly a no-brainer like why should they book direct with you what benefits do they get because of that versus booking with an OTA but people miss that you know there's very few hotel websites you go to and it actually says here are the reasons to stay with us it's just a generic this is our property it was established in here blah 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 blah, blah. right it's vanilla content it's not thinking about the value proposition you're really you're trying to sell someone a product you got to sell it you got to really put your best foot forward and give them a reason to part with their hard-earned money in, in showing top 10 reasons to book direct with us or something like that mm-hmm. well the third one kind of leads into that is provide your best rate possible which we've talked about extensively in the past but provide the absolute best rate possible and don't be undercut so do not ever have rates that are lower on an OTA yeah and that's what Triptease does just just so you guys that don't know at home Triptease is a rate parity monitor so when you're in the booking engine process and you've searched for rates if you're using Triptease when a consumer sees your book direct rates Triptease comes up on the side and kind of slides in and says 
you know, you have the assurance that you're getting the best available rates. And it actually shows rates from the third parties like the like Expedia and Booking.com. And it can also adjust your rate. So if for some reason your rate on your website is higher than the OTAs, it can automatically adjust your rate down so that you have parity. So people are always getting the best available rate for that search at that time. And then they also have some back-end software that help you identify those rate parity issues. Like when you have a date range where you don't have rate parity, it actually puts that data in front of you or your rate management so that they can avoid that moving forward. Yeah, it, it so really, really can cool be. Product. It really can be a rate manager's best friend. And even if you don't go so far with a you know system like Triptease, getting a best rate guarantee logo, getting a clear best rate guarantee that's actually published that you stand behind, and goes managing so far. your rates. You know, well, yeah. It, it's sometimes it's just laziness. Now people are yielding because you know. They're trying to get more heads in beds for this upcoming weekend, and they do it on the on the extranets or for the third parties, but they don't come and do it on their own website. You know that that is just you you're killing your direct bookings whenever you do that. You know we've seen that time and time again when a client of ours has all of a sudden the conversion rate on the on the website drops dramatically. Ninety nine percent of the time, that's caused by a rate parity issue. So. You've got to make sure you have your arms around your rates. Whether you're doing that manually, whether you have a tool like Triptease, it doesn't matter. You've just got to get your arms around it. Mm -hmm. The next tip was to reduce abandonment, which again, I think is another topic we've probably touched on in the past, but really looking at your conversion funnel, seeing where people are falling out, and then optimizing that accordingly. And then finally, be human. You know, a, a hotel website can't get excited because you're booking your honeymoon or, you know, get excited for your family vacation. But, you know, having that customer service experience on the property and our favorite phrase, surprising and delighting your guests is really going to make all the difference in the world. Yeah. And I, I really feel like that hospitality side of what we do, like tr truly being an innkeeper in the traditional sense is a lost art form. You know, people have, have turned it into you know, a cattle call, like it's just a numbers game. You know, we're getting as many web visitors to conversions to booking. It just, let's step back and think about what we're really doing. You know, we're accommodating people. We're in the hospitality business. Let's be hospitable to people. Let's treat them like individuals. Let's put some individual personalized touches to what we do. Let's really surprise and delight our guests. We, we talked a couple of weeks ago, Melissa, who's often on the podcast, she went to a hotel in Savannah where they left a handwritten note in her room thanking her for the stay. And guess what? They just bought a guest for life. Whenever she goes there, whether she goes anywhere that has that <coughs> brand, she's going to stay at that property because it was the personal touch, you know, and, and it really doesn't take that much more effort to add that personal touch. Your housekeeper can put a note in the room. You know, you can write those in batch. Your night auditor who's sitting around half the night anyway can write those out for the next day and put and then the housekeeper can put them in every room. It's we not have, that tough. We have a lot of you know clients of different sizes. We have some, you know, I'm thinking of one property that's in Albany that has I think sixteen total rooms and they are very high touch. People who stay there know the owner's wife's name. And they communicate with that person specifically. The bigger properties, they have to understand how they can take that feeling and scale it up to a 500-room property. And, and there's going to be you know challenges in that, but you know making that person connect with your brand and connect with you personally is going to be such an important step to, like you said, getting that handwritten note and becoming a customer for life. Yeah, I mean it. It seems daunting on the surface when you think if you're a 500 unit property, right? And you're gonna write 500 notes a day. Okay, well let's figure out a way to scale that. Right? Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe it's not handwritten, but maybe it's it, it's a it's printed in a handwritten font. But we're still doing something that they didn't expect. We're still surprised them. It goes back to the you know the chocolate on the pillow with a turndown service. You know that takes an extra minute or two for the the housekeeper to take care of that but it, it makes a difference in the perception and the experience you know and it's little things that make all the difference and when you do that guess what 
the satisfaction increases, your review scores increase, and then you can increase your ADR. And it, there's an ROI on mm-hmm. being personal. Yep. It pays for itself. And you have to use Andy's candies as the mm. candy for your turn. I service. don't know. I would be just as happy with like a two-pack of Reese's. <laughs> you, you can do that as well. <laughs> the, the king size. Just leave a pint of Ben & Jerry's in the fridge. <laughs> Bottle of wine in the yeah, fridge. Like, exactly. let's just really up the game. You guys lost me because yeah. I have no idea what Andy's candy is. Really? What? It's, it's the like best. a little chocolate with like a thin layer of mint in between. Oh my god! It is the official turn down candy. I don't think it would be an exaggeration to use the word ethereal. Okay. It's I feel like any time you use that word is an exaggeration. Yeah. <laughs> but, so it's like a peppermint patty. But the ratio's way <laughs> different. Like we'll, peppermint we'll patty is a lot of mint and a little chocolate, and this has a really nice mint to chocolate ratio. And it's yeah. just a tiny that little bite, so you ratio. can eat eighty if you're really hungry, yeah. or you can just have one as a treat. You can never just have one of any chocolate. I would agree. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's do one more because we're running short on time. So yeah. let's, let's talk about Sojourn. Yes. So Sojourn did a presentation on programmatic advertising, and so let's talk about what Sojourn is first. So people understand that. And then that will make sense to why they're talking about programmatic advertising. So Sojourn is an ad platform for display advertising. We've talked about them before on the show. We, we, in general, especially me, are not huge fan of display advertising for hotels. The, the return for us, we've never really seen it there. The, the life cycle of the booking research um, life cycle is just it's it's very short so you, you end up wasting a lot of money especially when 50% of your bookings are done over the phone and there's no feedback to set to tell those people not to keep getting the remarketing ads right so in general we're not huge fans of retargeting and display ads however having said that we are fans of Sojourn and they have a very different business model one it's performance-based so you're not paying like a traditional display advertising where it's cost per impression, and that's really meaningless. I don't need impressions, I need heads and beds, right? So they're only charging you for actual conversions. Two, their attribution model is pretty good. Like the way they actually say this contributed to a conversion actually makes sense. So a lot of people will talk about view through conversions and, and maybe someone viewed an ad seven weeks ago and they're going to claim responsibility for that. Sojourn's model is a little different than that. So they're they're actually applying common sense to display advertising and for that reason I feel like it makes sense for hotels to to try it and see if for them as a depending on their destination but depending on their clientele does this platform for display advertising actually make sense. Um, So so that's kind of who Sojourn is, what they do. Um, I, we, we've kind of just debated internally whether it's worth using someone like Sojourn or just sticking with like an AdWords retargeting or something like that. But let's, let's talk about what they actually had to say in the, in the summit. So their presentation, they started out by just discussing kind of the evolution of the display advertising product or the media buy. So in old advertising, you said, oh, I want to reach travelers. I'm going to go to a travel-related website and just advertise on that website. And it's really kind of evolved into trying to find the right person at the right time and serve them the right ad, which is where the programmatic feature of this rolls in. And I think, as you expressed, Stuart, like I struggle with this a little bit because I feel like Google in particular has come a really far, far away from where they used to be as far as targeting. So I don't know. I feel like you can do this with AdWords. There's so much you can do. It's not just demographic targeting. Now you have demographic targeting, you have geographic targeting, you have placement. So you still can place yourself on certain websites if you just want to serve on certain websites. They have interest-based targeting. They have retargeting, um, which they kind of divided display into two primary goals, which I did agree with. So you have prospecting or just really trying to brand yourself, which I don't think is a great goal for an individual hotel and you have the retargeting. And I feel like you can do this within AdWords. You can, but the reach is different, right? So the sites that, that you're, you're being able to get exposed on through AdWords are not necessarily the same sites that you're gonna get exposed on with Sojourn, right? Their network is different. And there's probably some overlap, but I, I feel like it's not a one or the other. This, these aren't mutually exclusive. I, th- I think you absolutely, if you're interested in trying to display advertising, if you've done 
everything you can. You've maxed your budget out on all the performance-based advertising you can, but you still have money to spend and you want more business and you want to try display advertising, then I absolutely think you should be doing remarketing and retargeting through AdWords. But I think someone like Sojourn makes sense to try to above you know, a lot of the other vendors out there that do this. Again, because one, they focus on the hotel industry, but two, it's performance-based. Mm-hmm. So you're not paying just for impressions. I don't need impressions. They're worthless to me. I need heads and beds. Yeah. And, and that's what they're focused on. And I on. think that's also what I struggle with too is just the whole finding the right person at the right time with the right ad. That is like fantastic in theory, but I don't think anybody has figured out really how to do this just because booking windows are so different and then you've got to deal with okay impression cap so people aren't being bombarded with this and then how long is your cookie you know have they already booked the hotel a lot of people don't use the exclusion list so i just and people visit so many sites i think you know retargeting goes a long way there Mm -hmm. kind of you know melissa's not with us today but to quote her test everything yeah i think that's really what it comes down to you've got to hold them accountable to roi right and and I think if if you're interested in display advertising, so just someone that's worth taking. And remarketing can be very effective, but even from a remarketing perspective, I feel like somebody like remarketing list for search ads can be more effective than display remarketing. Yeah, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I think I think it's a different type of product, you know. And and some brands are more visual, and and display ads can tell a better story, and you can reach people in different places. But you know. Remarketing list for search ads, you're again harvesting intent, right? Because someone's on a search engine searching for a keyword, whereas this display advertising is more of an intercept. You're interrupting something else they're doing mm-hmm. or, or jogging their memory because they came to your site or trying to capture someone that looks like someone that normally books with you. But, you know, I think display advertising always has worked great if you're selling widgets, right? If I'm mm-hmm. selling t-shirts, because I can sell the same T-shirts to someone Zenny. every they week. They have so much retargeting, right. but I have so many friends that have bought so many more glasses because they're like, these Zenny ads keep following me everywhere. I don't know what that is, but I believe it's you. It's eyeglasses. I call it Zenny. Really? Yeah. If, if you're, if you're selling widgets, whether that's spectacles or T-shirts or wine glasses, right, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Display advertising can work because it, it might be some, well, I don't know if you reconsume wine glasses you probably do misha most people don't you, you i have, have my game day goblet that is my go-to wine glass okay. but look at amazon they right. do a fantastic job of that because they're constantly reselling the products same. to you either the right. same product or other products. but with hotel right you might you get the the kind of consumer that is looking at a product short term and going to book today but then you got the kind of person that's looking for their summer vacation in january and they might not book till march and you don't know. And because you don't know when they actually book all the time, it doesn't always feed back because maybe they booked over the phone. Maybe they booked through an OTA. You don't always know. You do waste a lot of money with display advertising. So that's why I like performance-based platforms like Sojourn. So there was another comment that I wanted to discuss. The conversation that they were having forayed into mobile, and they were discussing having a mobile-first website, which definitely a great recommendation. But one of the comments that was made was that people aren't going to download an app for your individual hotel. And I personally felt this was way (laughs) off base and was not a data-driven statement. I think that's the common misconception in the industry, right? I think it's easy to say that. I think people say, well, people don't really want apps, you know, unless they're going to reuse them frequently. We can categorically say that's false because we have an app product. It's called Guest Express. And we have it in a lot of independent hotels, one-off boutique hotels ranging from 16 units to 500 units. And in every case, people are downloading this stuff. I was looking at data in preparation for this, and we got one property. It's a 300-unit property in a resort destination. And they're getting about 300 downloads a week. And guess what? Of those 300 downloads, half of the people are using it for mobile check-in. And guess what? Of those 300 people, on average, they're opening the app nine times during this day. So not only uh, are they downloading it, but they're actually using this sucker a lot, you know, and it's saving time and effort on the front end because they're cutting down the the check-in lines. It's making the customer experience better. It's giving the hotel a better opportunity to communicate with the guests when they're on property through push notifications. It's driving extra revenue through late checkouts, extended stays, things like that. 
It's just the the concept of people won't download a mobile app for property is just categorically false. Do you have an opinion on people downloading the app? I do. <laughs> Would you like me to tell yeah. you that? Opinion? No, it's completely true that you know people do. I, I think you know five years ago it might have been different, but now it's it's a hundred percent the case that mm-hmm. people are going to use that app, and it goes to that surprise and delight. If you're a standalone property and you have a product that is something that rivals what the big flags have, mm-hmm. it gives your customers a different perspective on what you're able to deliver. And if you're able to send them those push messages or express check-in, it, it really does create that bond with the property. And it's not the handwritten note, but it goes a long way to create that I mean, if customer. it's a useful app, people will use it. That's what it comes down to. And I think mm-hmm. the fear is that, oh, they use it once or twice and delete it. There's plenty of apps that I've downloaded mm-hmm. and I find useful and I use them. And then I delete it. And if it, like in a hotel's case, if it is a repeat destination or if you go more than once a year, they're going to re-download it and use it again. I think it's more about making the app experience as good as it possibly can be and making the most out of it from both the user perspective and the hotel's perspective. Yeah, and this is unparalleled. You've never had the opportunity for that one-to-one communication, that personalization with a guest while they're on property before. Because usually they come to the front desk, they go to their room, you wouldn't see them again until they checked out. And you can't communicate with that guest via the item that they're carrying around everywhere they go. And they look at it more times than anything else a day without the app. I know I've only been to Disney World. I've been to Disney World twice. Both times, the very first thing I did when we were going to Disney was download the app. Do you have that app on your phone now? No. But if you go to Disney But the again, second time I went, the first thing I did was make sure that app was yeah. there and I downloaded it from the cloud. Right. The app, I mean, maybe you can keep people on there. Maybe you can push specials and get bookings. But that's not the point of the app. The point of the app is to make the experience while they're on property better than it could be without the app. And apps do a really good job. And, and we've got dozens and dozens of properties that are using our product and there's tons of other products out there that are getting the same kind of data people are using apps for hotels so if you're an independent hotel and you've heard again and again mobile apps don't work for one-off properties again rethink that try it what was what was the stat 300 person pro- 300 unit property so 300 unit property is getting an average of 300 downloads a week i mean let that sink in right. that's one download per room per week yeah Exactly. And people are using it nine times on average per stay. So they're not just downloading it, they're actually interacting with it. And they're generating revenue from it. I mean, I don't know what your takeaway from all this, but I mean, our app sounds like it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> so <laughs> somehow saying. this this uh, whole summit came down to buy our products. Oops. <laughs> that was actually not intentional. That was not intentional. Not. We, we try to be very fair. You know, we're talking about a, a summit that was put on by Leonardo, which technically is a competitor of ours. They're, they're a digital marketing company. But we want this to be informative to people. We want to make sure the right information is getting out to the hotel industry. So that's why we kind of talk about this stuff. And, you know, we're passionate about apps. There are other products out there, not just ours. I encourage everyone to get an app, whether it's Guest Express, which we produce, or one of the many competitors out there. Um, but just check, just consider it. It's definitely something I would invest in mobile apps before I invested in probably retargeting or display advertising. So that kind of wraps up our summary. Let us know what you think about if you attended Leonardo's virtual summit. Uh, we enjoyed it. So thank you, Leonardo, for, for putting that out there. We definitely learned some things or it you know, reinforced a lot of things that we're saying here on this podcast. But let us know what you think on Twitter. You can hit us up at Fuel Travel. We'd love to hear from you. And having said that, we've heard from a few people this week. So let's give some shout outs. Yeah. So in lieu of our question, we wanted to highlight some of our raving fans. So first we have Rick from Flip2 who has done some work with us in the past. I think he was on some of the videos we've done. Um, But he tweeted at us. He said, binge listening to the podcast today. Episode 13 social media discussion was on point. Hashtag just one hashtag. Nice. Like I it. would say hashtag nailed it. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Ricky. We appreciate that. Uh, the second shout-out goes to Body Jones, and I apologize if I mispronounced that. But he said, hello from Charleston. Just wanted to say I'm loving the podcast. You guys do a great job. Hotel marketing, all around great stuff. Awesome. That's um, really cool. Right up the road, Charleston. Charleston, South Carolina or mm-hmm. Charleston, West Virginia? I assume South Carolina, but I don't actually know. I think it was South Carolina because I think I followed him back on Twitter. Awesome. 
So thank you for listening. Yeah, we appreciate, we appreciate that. If, if you have some love to share, you'd like to t- tell us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. Again, please let us know on Twitter if you'll travel. And please, please, please leave a review on iTunes as well. And if you want to hit us up individually, you can also reach us. Pete, where can they reach you on the web? They can find me at P Demayo, P D I M A I O on Twitter. Or you can look up the People Against Pete DeMeo yes. <laughs> page. But don't ever do that. <laughs> there, there's, is it People United Against it's, Pete? It's People United Against Pete DeMeo. Okay, go Google that. There is I'm trying to location. get the search volume up so it ranks for your name. It's our office location. One of our employees had actually registered that as a business in Google <laughs> Local as our office location. So we're not there anymore, but the People United Against Pete DeMeo are. And interestingly... Our receptionist actually got a call one time from someone looking for an internship at a non-profit. They had to do it for school or something. And they, they wanted to learn more about the People United Against Pete DeMeo because it was listed as a non-profit I, I almost had a minion. You almost had. Some, well, I wouldn't. They would have been against you. That's true. So. <laughs> but but I, I have gotten several credit card offers for you know business accounts. And thank you, Google. I've gotten at least three $100 start a AdWords campaign. I'm going to go leave some reviews. We should start yeah. a remarketing campaign. We should. <laughs> or create a website. Yeah, I don't want people against me, though. <laughs> we do. It's funny. All right, Misha, where can they find you? Is there anyone against you? Uh, not that I know of, but probably now that I think about it. Okay. So if you're not against Misha, they can find you at? You can find me at Marketing Misha. That is M-E-I-S-H-A. And you can find me at Stuart Butler, S-T-U-A-R-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. You can, again, find us collectively at Fuel Travel. We're going to post the notes to this podcast on our website at fueltravel.com slash podcast. And it will be clicking on episode 29, not episode 28, as I said earlier. And until next time, you've been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Benedict Cumberbatch has a nice cumber bun. <laughs>